0: What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and I'm coming to you after the brutal beating and murder of Tyree Nichols by black police officers. Um, Look, there's a lot to be said and that will continue to be said and shared from this microphone and Living Corporate's network um, as we continue to mourn yet another black body viciously brutalized by the state, uh, but for the sake of where we are in this moment, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna simply say, that you don't have to be a part. Uh, you don't have to be a white person to support and uphold white supremacy, and that oftentimes members of marginalized identities participate in patriarchal, racist, ableist systems, homophobic systems, in order to advance themselves in front of, um, in the, in the, in whiteness, right? Um, to participate in white supremacy, uh, or to participate in homophobia, patriarchy and other exploit exploitative social constructs um, is is an act of selfishness, um, of course evil, um, and selfishness being tied to survival and or advancement. Um, what I would challenge organizations to do before you make a statement decrying the murder of Tyree Nichols that you would ask yourself what are you doing in your workplace to advocate for a less brutal experience for your black employees what policies do you have in mind in place, what procedures what processes are you implementing and following and holding yourselves accountable to so that black folks are not mistreated every day Did you do any type of analysis before you decided to cut 10% of your company? Or did you cut your 10, 11, 7, 5%, whatever? And then just, it just so happened to be that half of the folks impacted were black and brown. If you're a manager and you happen to be black do you advocate for other people that look like you or do you stray away from that because you don't want to be seen as the black representative? Cause that's a, that's a common thing that happens a lot in corporate America. If you didn't know. And of course, if you're white, like what power and voice and privilege are you leveraging to advocate for people that look like you and that don't look like you? <laughs> um, There's so much to be said about this moment and this season. But I come to y'all exhausted and tired once again because these systems continue to flex against change. And anytime there seems to be an inroad, the same white folks, the same people in power, continue to resist and there also doesn't really seem to be any type of true desire to shift or redefine or redesign or reimagine any real system it almost seems as if we're just speeding up and getting worse and so that is discouraging it's disheartening but we're here and we press forward And with that in mind, you know, I want to thank uh, Tracy Wilson, um, who is a health equity advocate and leader at Pfizer. I want to thank her for her time today. We talk about a, a wide array of things related to her journey, her career, ways that black women need better support and advocacy for their well-being. I'm excited for you to hear this conversation and uh, I appreciate um, our campaign and partnership with Pfizer so that you can continue to hear these types of dialogues and and discussions. With that being said, we're going to have a little break and the next thing, next conversation you're going to hear will be between myself and Tracy. See you soon. Dr. Wilson. Yes. Welcome to the show. How you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
0: You know what I'm doing? You know, we got the murder of of, 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 uh, Tyree Nichols and uh, health equity being what it is. Um, And then also I got two kids. (laughs) All of that. We tired.
1: (laughs) All all of that. All of that. Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, but, but, But you know what, though? I think I think like other black and brown folks around in, in America and around the world, we just we persist on, right? You know, um, you know that's that's where I'm at. Um I want to get right to it because I feel like I can already tell even off of mic, I was like, oh, we're gonna have a nice conversation. Now we booked an hour. We might mess around and use this whole hour. I ain't gonna hold you. Um, let's talk about your journey, okay? Why nursing and why Pfizer?
1: Why not Pfizer? Why not nursing? Right? I think that's probably more of the question. So, for me, healthcare was always a part of my DNA. Um, um, as I probably have told plenty of people that have asked me that question before, I always wanted to be in healthcare. Always. And it started at a very young age. Um, I wanted to be a pediatrician. Um, and anybody that asked me when I was little, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a pediatrician. I wanted to take care of babies specifically. Um, so the littlest of little people. Um, but my earliest like, memory of healthcare my mom had hysterectomy when I was, I think I was either six or seven years old. And so she asked me because she couldn't take care of her womb. And so she needed me to take care of her incision, which was, you know, that lower bikini area. And so she needed someone to clean it for her. And so she asked me, you know, cause she knew I wanted to be, you know, a doctor. So she asked me at six, seven years old, if I could clean her wound. And so I did. Now, almost faint, it, doing it. I could literally have, I have the memory even to this day of saying, yeah, mama, what does it mean when your when your ears start ringing and your eyes get fuzzy like a TV? And she's like, oh, "Baby, go lay down. Put your legs up in the air because you're getting ready to faint." And still to this day, my Achilles heel as far as taking care of anything dealing with wounds it still will make me like drop to my knees. I can see blood pumping out of anywhere. I can stick people, I can do IVs, blind, you know, with my eyes covered. But you give me anything like, you know, a big gaping wound or taking out stitches, I'll, I'll turn green and we'll hit the deck. So, uh, but yeah, so that's my earliest memory as far as healthcare and uh, wanting to take care of people. Um, And then Pfizer, um, uh, I've been with Pfizer about three years, and three years ago, um, I remember seeing a job um, posted talking about hospital business unit. and I'm like, that's an interesting hospital, Michael. I think I could do something like that if part of a hospital. I mean, I've been in hospital you know, for my entire life. Um, so to do something that dealt with hospital, and one particular unique thing from a part of that particular role was that um, you were going to be doing things dealing with helping um, healthcare providers dealing with pathway development. So like implementations if they had issues with, you know, with their um, Um, uh, any kind of care um, to help them think of new strategies of doing things. And I was currently doing that with the role that I was at. I was at Thermo Fisher Scientific. And so I was doing um, asthma pathway development. So looking at um, the end-to-end treatment um, for asthma. So the patient experience for, so with asthma patients, when a patient will come in to the patient experience that they were leaving, um, doing asthma pathway development. So I was like, this is right up my alley so that's how i um ended up applying
0: for the role um and with the hospital business unit um here at you know uh, we talked you know you talked a little bit about where your where your journey started and your passion came from you know in, in caring for your mother um and so much of your profile though also involves health ad- equity advocacy so May I ask, you know, what did it look like, if at all, for you to advocate for your mother to be cared for, even in that season or perhaps later in life?
1: I mean, I think for me, it, it, advocacy has always been a part of me. I mean, even as a kid, I was always advocating for other people. You know, if i seen someone, you know, getting in trouble, if i seen someone being bullied. I mean, I was always standing up for others, even more so than myself. Um, there was a coworker that I had part of my team. She retired now. She was another fellow nurse um, and we called, um, you know, it was a running joke between the two of us that we would always red cross. We, we love the red cross for people and, you know, maybe not always doing the same kind of self-care, but we would do it for others. So just red crossing for others. Um, and so it's just naturally just a part of me never have an issue jumping into the fire or to, or to the, the crossing lines uh, the crosshairs for others um, and fighting on behalf of um, the needs of other people
0: you know it's it's tough right because as I think about when I think about my wife um, you know we have two small children. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is turning three mm-hmm. in March. Mm-hmm. And The other one is like three months. Mm-hmm. And you know, for each of um, my wife's pregnancies, there was some dramatic thing that happened. Right? And I shudder to think what would have happened if I wasn't there. So let me tell you about the first thing. Okay? So again, this was almost three years ago. It's like right when COVID was um, was like getting started mm-hmm. but it wasn't in crazy full swing yet in fact because um, we're in Houston mm-hmm. so the day after Nietzsche. yeah, yeah. I know, yeah my bad yeah that's right uh, but for the audience though y'all, we're in Houston don't be getting weird now, I didn't give you my address here. stay where you at but so I'm in Houston <laughs> <laughs> alright so we're <laughs> me and Dr. Wilson in Houston, what's up try to pull up, do something um, okay, back to the story. We're in Houston. And this was like right before they started restricting the husbands from going up there with the wives during the postpartum, post-partum or prepartum at this point. Anywho, we get there. And, you know, my wife, we got there. And I, we didn't realize that later we found out my wife was like eight centimeters or something like that when she showed up at the hospital. And so she's struggling to walk
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we're trying to like, Hey, get some help. Right. And I don't really, for, for obvious reasons, you know, I'm six to two plus. I'm not really out here trying to be extra loud or aggressive when I'm outside because I'm not trying to create that kind of attention. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I actually had to get loud and I said, Hey, <laughs> my wife is clearly pregnant. <laughs> Help. <laughs> and like mm-hmm. everybody stopped and like the nurses came over and, you know, and, and Emory was born like, you know, I want to say maybe like an hour later. Wow. Um, Cause they had, they were so shocked at how far along she was dilated. Wow. Um, and so that was the first thing. So that was like dramatic, but it was fast. Mm-hmm. And so then three months ago, when my second, our second daughter, Aman was born. Candace said, Hey, my wife's name, Candace. She's like, we're not gonna do this again where we show up last minute and we're you mm-hmm. know, it's that. Like we're not gonna do that. Mm-hmm. We're gonna show up early, we're gonna induce, and we're gonna and we had talked we already talked to our to the doctor and everything, like we had a plan. We show up, we're like, hey, we like to induce, we wanna take our you know, we wanna make sure there's no surprises. We're here. We're going to get our room. We're going to do what we need to do. And we're in there waiting. And we ask for uh, the epidural. Um, we ask for, we ask, we were asked like trying to go on. And then we said, okay, well, where, where where are you at? Oh, you're at six. you are You're at six. And some, for some reason we were at six supposedly for like three hours. And I was like, I'm not no doctor, but that's not in line with like what happened the first time like things progressed a lot faster and y'all supposedly tried to induce like so i don't understand like we were just really confused as to like and so out of nowhere candace started screaming like really really loud like really really loud like i because she didn't she never she did not scream like this at all the first time (laughs) to the point and the and i'm over here like hey and i'm and so now the nurses are right outside i want to be clear the nurses are right outside I'm not gonna say the hospital, just not to blow the spot up, but I might. Y'all keep making me mad. Uh, and <laughs> so they're right outside, and there's this big red button. Doctor Wilson in the room, and I'm just like, man, I'm gonna just press this. Like, uh-huh. yeah. so I press the button. Now all the nurses come in, yeah. everybody yeah. come in, uh-huh. everybody come in, and I'm and we're like, hey, where? First of all, my wife is clearly in pain. Also, we've been asked for the epidural, whatever. Where they they gonna look down? Oh, you're you're nine centimeters. You gotta push right now. Yes, so, so now it goes from them ignoring us to, and I again, I am not a ner- I am not a doctor, but it felt almost like she was being berated and bullied for not pushing harder and like we're gonna have this baby right now. Now, meanwhile, my wife is in tears and she's crying because she's like she, she's crying and in, in between her cry- her tears, she's saying, "I did everything right. I came early. I asked. You're supposed to have a schedule. Da da da." Now, mind you, the person out there. Who was supposed to be doing he finally shows up because he's like, they're like, We're sorry, he's behind. Like he was he was behind. Like that's why he's not here yet to do to give the shot or whatever. So he finally shows up. But Tommy shows up, it's too late. Um, and so then like five minutes later, Amon is born. And praise God, like she came out healthy and she was fine, and Candace was was fine, not a lot of tearing or nothing like that. It was it it, it worked out. But it's just like, so I was, but it's so dramatic. Mm-hmm. And it was so scary when I think about, and I have other people, friends, again, and these are black men telling me the stories about their their partners, their spouses, you know, they have a baby and then they, and then suddenly they're walking around and they think, oh, am I passing another child? Only to find out it was a placenta that they didn't help the mother pat, like you know, have or whatever. And so, you know, to, like for me, it's so personal. Of course, I came from a woman um, and from a black woman at that. So, of course, it's personal, period. But it's 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 viscerally personal to me, this topic around health equity and care and accessibility, for especially particularly for black women, because I've been front row seat to two situations where I really don't know what would have happened if I wasn't there to lend my voice. You know, it's just really scary. Um, and so I, I share all that to say, I'm curious, like, what does advocacy look like and show up like in your day-to-day job? I live and breathe it and do it every single day. It's
1: entrenched into my daily duty. I like, because of me being a Black woman, because of my lived experiences, I bring it with me to my daily duties every single day um so i find opportunities in how i can improve the lives of others and increase access to patients lives every single day with you know whether the the conversations that i'm having with healthcare providers so my particular role so i'm a field medical director um here at Pfizer so what my particular role is is that i have conversations with healthcare providers academic centers patient organizations um, on our particular products. Um, And so the team that I'm on is the antiviral team. Um, One of the things is wanting to ensure that, you know, do our healthcare providers understand the utilization of it? Do they know where access is? Um, And then do they really understand, um, you know, those patients that are at high risk um, to progression to severe COVID. And so we have a huge campaign going on right now talking about no plan go. So do they know about, you know, those patients that are at high risk? And then for those patients, you know, that are at high risk, educating them around the plan. Have they developed a plan? Do they know how to test? Do they know then to come in, you know, to their you know, HCP or the healthcare provider, you know, to show them the actual tests? you know, do a virtual visit, however it needs to go. And then they, you know, then doing, you know, are knowing then about the proper um, treatments that then are available. So that is my role, is the educational person um, around that particular product. Um, So that is health equity is my lens that I'm bringing to my role every single day is around access and around education, because the very lives of the patients that I'm dealing with needs it. And the healthcare providers that I'm working with, they're working with their patients to ensure that the patients need it as well.
0: You know, we're talking about Black women. I'm I'm double-clicking on Black women in terms of the the inequitable care that they receive, um, in healthcare. Um, but the reality is black women face inequity everywhere, including in the workplace in all workplaces, but then for show, in like healthcare and academic spaces, it's almost like doubly awful, you know? And so, um, I'm curious about the ways, you know, you talk about being at fires for three years. What are some ways that fires has helped set you up to succeed? Cause, and I, and I, and I ask this question because so often, you know, you see like, when a black person comes in to take some type of role or leadership it's when stuff is really bad you know what i mean it's kind of like we going you you go you going you going to work you know you going to have a little title but you we hear the because it's we're at dire straits when we get a black person in leadership for something mm-hmm. so you know talk to me a little bit about what your experience has been like at Pfizer because i mean 3 years um that's a long time to be somewhere that you don't want to be mm-hmm. so <laughs> i'd love to hear more
1: yeah, I, for me, it, this has been probably the most exciting and rewarding work um, that I have been able to do. And since I've been here, you know, like, I guess when I came here to meet people that have been at a place that, you know, oh, I've been here, you know, 10 years, I've been here 15 years, I've been here 26 years. I mean, we're talking about tenured senior people. So to meet people that want to be at a place for that long, that kind of tells me that, you know, exactly what you just said. You want to be at a place where people are enjoying enjoying what they're doing and want to stay. And so for me, this has been, you know, where they've been able to put me in rooms and in places that I've never imagined that I would ever... Think I dreamed that I would ever be. Um, Give me an example. So, for example, I had an opportunity to sit um, on a health equity panel um, with the National Organization of Black Elected Legislative Women just this past October. And when I'm talking about the Black Elected Legislative Women, I'm talking about all of the Congress women, the Black elected congresswomen in the US Congress currently and to sit on a health equity panel with some of your um you know one of the panelists was from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Another one was a leader from, you know, one of the top you know pharmaceutical companies. And then we have me, you know <laughs> I'm like <laughs> It's me <laughs> on this panel, and, but yes. speaking to you know, um, you know Karen Carpenter Car- you know, Camber, um, who is one of the legislators that you know helped to you know the the Crown Act um, that we know is you know the legislation you know that was helping to move forward to protect Black women's hair, um, you know across the nation. Now, we know that it did not go through the Senate mm-hmm. just recently, but that legislation was, you know, foundational to help, you know, get passed through a lot of, you know, legislative houses um, as far as to help protect our hair and not to be discriminated against. She was yeah. one of the architect um, to help the the um, the young woman that actually came up with that whole idea. Um, she was the architect, um, in, in Congress to help, um, push that through and that bill. Um, so yes, so, I mean, so to be in that room with all of those powerful, um, women, um, uh, was, yes, I, I've never been a part of anything like that in my life. So to, you know, to interact with, you know, such powerful, you know, women, Um, that have really just kind of taken me under their wing and to allow me to lend my voice um, to things. Ellen, you know, Gersten, you know what I mean? I wouldn't have the opportunity to be doing this without her seeing something in me um, and allowing me to lend my voice.
0: Well, I mean, I'm honored that you're here and I'm excited to have this conversation and definitely shout out to Ellen, and to Erica uh, and the team, you know, for this, this dope campaign, you know, I, I do want to, you know, I want to talk about the fact that your, your star continues to rise. You've been a star for a long time. Like you were a star before you knew you was, you know, all of that, you know, we know all that. Um, but as you, as you continue to grow awareness of your, your climb, you know, what does it look like for you to, to lift as you climb, right? Like so often, Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to just say it's a little corporate. We'll have a conversation. So often, you know, I I run into people. We actually when we had Yolande Yolande on the show um, some some weeks, some months ago, last year, actually, we talked about uh, she shared a story about how she when she was younger and she saw a black woman who she really liked. And she like really wanted to emulate. And she talked to and kind of got the got the Heisman a little bit. Right. Like, "Mm, you back up. Um, and that's a, that's a sad, but, but not uncommon experience. And like, I have several of those, those experiences. And I always told myself, if I, if I'm ever blessed enough to get to a place where someone else aspires to be, I'm not going to be that. And so I'm curious, I'm sure. Again, we took it off, Mike, your whole brand is fire. You're unf- you can't, can't forget you. You know what I mean? Clearly I know that you make a mark when you meet people and I'm confident there are other black folks, particularly young black, uh, younger black women, newer to the profession or maybe even aspiring to be a nurse, perhaps, or aspiring to just, you know, they're engaging you. What does it look like for you to to engage them back and to, and to help them where you can?
1: Um, I would, for me, I mean, networking, for me, that is number one and key. I, I jokingly kind of say I am masterful at networking. Um, so networking is key. I do that here at work. Um, and knowing who, who to network with, how to network, you know, sending out, it is not, nothing is wrong with reaching out, sending that email. Hey, do you have, you know, brief time, you know, a moment to reach out to, you know, and and sit down and talk with me 10, 15 minutes, um, to have a conversation with me. Just want to, you know, know how you did whatever it was that you did so networking is huge to me um on linkedin i'm you know I, linkedin is that's my social media you know i could almost care less about you know any other social media um but linkedin is huge and i get a lot of people that reach out to me um on linkedin that ask you know how how did you do the steps and the pivots and the changes that you've done in your career? Uh, you know, besides being, you know, a nurse, started out in NICU, but I taught um, in academia, taught in community college, and I taught at the university level, teaching pre-licensure um, nursing students, so an assistant professor, and then, you know, then also being in industry. So how did you do all of those changes and then get over into industry? So being an industry nurse practitioner. And working for pharmaceutical companies, so you know, doing you know, networking through that. So I would say networking. Other things, you know, as far as you know, within you know Pfizer, you know, trying to you know maneuver through you know the corporate kind of ladder is that avail yourself to new opportunities. You know, so if you know someone want to tap you for something, or even if you're not getting tapped, you know, mean, tap yourself into that opportunity. Volunteer. Um, you know, for opportunities. Let them know what you're interested in. Talk to your manager. Make sure they know that you're, um, you know, you're willing and able and want to be, you know, ready for um, some kind of project or initiative. Um, And then seek new skills. Um, I'm always, you know, the chronic student learner i um, wanting to do something, um, learn something new. So currently I'm in school right now getting another master's um, and I'll be finished in May. So I'm at Tulane University School of Medicine pursuing. Come on, Tulane! <laughs> Absolutely. Who won the Cotton Bowl? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so yes. Yeah, so I'm getting um, um, that second master. Well, it's not second masters. I don't know what masters it is. I, I got, I got a few degrees. But anyway, um, it's in bioethics and medical humanities. And so, Mm. yes, so I'm excited about like This is the first degree out of everything I've ever done. The first degree that I feel like is actually mine. Um, I'm not checking the box. I'm not, you know, doing this because I feel like it's something I need to be doing. No, this is, this is mine and I'm Mm. I'm gaining something from it. This is learning just for me. So yes, I'll be Mm. finishing May uh, with that. And so mentoring and sponsorship um, you know, I, I love mentoring. That's probably something that comes just naturally, um, to me. So I just love. You it. know,
0: um, the story, again, we started off talking about the murder of, 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 of Tyree Nichols, but, um, the story of April Valentine is still very fresh for those who don't know. Um, January 10th, April Valentine died, uh, died in childbirth, um, at Centennial, Sentinella Hospital due to medical neglect. She and her boyfriend complained for hours to the nurses that she could not feel her legs, and they told her that she could, they could not call the doctors because they could get upset. You know, I think that I was going to say this about. Um, I do have a question about this, and that I want to pose to you. Uh, but the other thing I think about when it comes to healthcare inequity is it's not like fixing a car, or like the knowledge itself is so specialized. So. You can't. So like when the nurses were when my wife was going through that experience in real time or when the nurses weren't getting to my wife enough on the first pregnancy delivery, I can't be like, move out the way I'm doing myself. Like, I don't know. And so there's a there's such a a, 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 a saw, sor- like a, a overwhelming feeling of helplessness that 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 is there. Right. Because you just can't do anything. Um, or so you feel in terms of you can't do it yourself, right? Like if someone comes to my home and I feel like they got my fence wrong, yo, I know how to fix a fence. I can do that. You know what I'm saying? I can't deliver no child. I don't know how to do that. I'm not no doula. Um, so my question, a little bit of levity there, but really going back to the story of April Valentine and then just a the broader experience of and the, the mortality rate of black women in this in this, um, in this country. You know, what is your response when you see stories like this for black women seeking care um, and, you know, when you like, you know, as you think about the two populations, so you have the black women seeking care and help, and then you also have, you know, your, your position towards the people that should be providing said care. Like, what do you, what goes to your mind when you see these types of stories?
1: These stories are not uncommon. I mean, it's, it's, it's going on. It's, it's been going on. I mean, we can go back to, you know, mean slavery and, you know, and the, you know, and our bodies, you know, being used and experimented on. I mean, this has been (laughs) a longstanding issues in our voices not being respected and our bodies not being respected. Um, And that, you know, that, you know, our our bodies being looked at as experiments in that, you know, you know, we, you know, we don't, we tolerate pain at a higher level, Um, you know, you know, various and various, you know, issues. And so I'm a part of this story. I had my own issues as far as even being a healthcare provider myself and my voice, not even being respected by a healthcare provider. Now, when I always go to the, you know, to the doctor or to the emergency room, I don't always reveal what I call my, my superhero (laughs) cloak, you know what I mean? I'm going to seek care just like anybody else. Um, But, you know, back in and I have... um, uh, I shared the story on um, with She Media, um, talking about my experience back in 2015, going to the emergency room um, after having um, I had strep throat and um, um, flu at the same time, but then having neck pain, um, stiff you know neck at the same time, and going to one emergency room and telling them that my neck is hurting. I have flu, I have strep, but I just don't feel right and this emergency room doctor was just dismissive of my concerns and my symptoms and I told her I was like I have a stiff neck and I have a fever I was like could this be meningitis and she was like oh no you're not sick enough no I see this all the time no 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 and just dismissive and I was like are you sure and she was like no you know I, you know I've been seeing this, you know, all week, you know, you don't have you know all the symptoms. And I was like, I don't know about that. And so she's like, you know, I'll I'll do a, a neck x-ray, but no. And did the neck x ray, which is not standard of care for checking for meningitis. Um, but she did it and then sent me home despite my level of concern that I had for myself. And two days later I was worse and I did not go back to that emergency room and she and I went to another emergency room and that doctor I gave them the same symptoms that I had and that doctor actually did the standard of care which is a spinal tap and it came back that I had viral meningitis and got admitted for four days because they had to wait till all of the cultures came back to ensure that it wasn't bacterial, which would have killed me <laughs> if it had been that. Well, it would have killed me probably within two days that I was at home stewing, <laughs> but luckily it wasn't bacterial. Um, so yes. So yes, didn't honor nothing. So you know, long story short, I, um, you know, I, I got all the medical bills taken care of because I went back to the hospital and talked to all of the chain of command in that hospital to get that doctor reprimanded. Um, but to going back to you know that story, you know what I mean. Of April, I saw that I I put remarks in there because this is classic medical gaslighting to not have your symptoms honored by the healthcare provider. Um, at all, but this is no different than what we saw. What happened with Serena Williams, um, okay. her dealing with her um, blood clots, her you know pulmonary embolism symptoms that she was having during her pregnancy. This is no different than the story of Dr. Susan Moore, if we can remember her. She was a doctor that died during COVID, and her complaints not being honored. Um, while she was in the hospital and she, you know, FaceTime, uh, you know, face, uh, Facebook Live during, you know, me, her, you know, stints during the hospital stay and died, um, you know, right before, um, you know, everything. So we have to honor patients' complaints, what they're stating to us. We have to advocate for ourselves. And what I have been just chiming in and making sure that everyone is alerted to this, um, you know, the media campaign that I did for medical gaslighting is make sure that you're advocating for yourself. Make sure that you're listening to your instincts. Your instincts are never going to tell you wrong. Make sure you're going to doctor's appointments with your questions already written down, Ready. Make sure that you have somebody going to an appointment with you because a lot of times when you go in, you may hear, you know, me kind of one thing or you may be overwhelmed and may not hear everything. The second person there with you is going to capture the rest of the information. And then the last thing that I, I kind of always close with is that if you don't feel comfortable, if something doesn't feel right to you, you always are can and are obligated to get a second opinion because your very life at the end of the day is what matters
0: thank you know you- and I well first of all thank you for sharing and I'm so glad that your voice was heard in that moment for yourself as you advocated for your own life mm-hmm. I think what's so sobering though dr Wilson is you know um serena Williams and others they just they challenge this um kind of selfish and capitalist notion that if you have money or if you have degrees then you'll be heard more than these other black folks who who don't have money and who don't have degrees and it's like yo serena williams is like oh like a world class athlete so you talk about people who know their body she is incentivized in all sorts of manners to know her body and she has money i'm gonna be honest in my ignorance until probably until a, f- a handful of years ago i just thought that if you had a lot of money that your care was just elite i just i just thought you had the best care because you have money
1: can i give you a statistic for black women and mortality yes. That the more education that you have, that the higher the risk that you will die during childbirth. There oh is a God. statistic for black women. It mm. shocked me. This was right before I had my my son. I have a five year old son and an eleven year old daughter, and I I got I've, I came across that statistic um just before I, I i think i got pregnant with him and when i read that do you how how startling do you think that was that yeah that the more education you would think that it would be the inverse you would be the opposite no. for black women
0: the more for ed- black women specifically mm-hmm.
1: the more education
0: you know and i and so i it's interesting as a, as kind of an aside, we'll kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll break the third wall. a we'll little be here. It's interesting. So when I talk to people about living corporate, Dr. Wilson, they're like, so do you ever think you're going to do anything around other groups? And like living corporate is about centering, and amplifying black and Brown voices. But anytime I say black, They're like, well, there's there's almost like this frustration of when will you expand to talk about other things? I'm like, well, first of all, do your research. We're network. We have tons of shows. We talk about all types of things from various perspectives of historically marginalized identity, but almost like a an annoyance that there's such a focus on black experience and black women experiences. Um, but this is why. This is a perfect example as to why. So next time you're asking me why are we doing this, we got this Pfizer campaign, why we keep talking about black and brown, why are so many of the guests black women? This is why. That is obscene. So you take the time, you learn, you get educated, you do all the things that they tell you you're supposed to do, you turn around, and that makes you more likely to die as you bring in life into this world. Oh, how awful. It also bring it begs the question for me, you know, that you think about um and I ask this question all the time. I'm curious, I'm actually curious to get your perspective on this. You know, my grandparents, both sets of my grandparents had mad kids. Okay? Mad kids. Like 10, mm-hmm. and 14. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both sets of my grandparents were sharecroppers in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From what I've seen. <laughs> from my wife recovering from the birth of these two children i rack my brain trying to understand how black folks back in the day and just black and brown communities without quote unquote modern health care were able to have so many children and be and not and be and be okay like is have you seen any studies around that or why like why, and, and, and is my data is my is my anecdotal again, I know what I'm saying is anecdotal, but have you ever thought about that or is there any stats or, or information around That's how that even happened?
1: Interesting question, and I'm just you know, and, and I'm just gonna be ripping off of off <laughs> of yeah. my own kind of, you know, thinking in my mind. Um a lot of back then you had the use of midmark. You had the use of, you know, mean home deliveries. Um, you know, so they there wasn't a lot of use of going to, you know, hospitals and things like that. So you had, you know, me <laughs> MEMAL
0: <laughs> right.
1: um delivering and you know, not that anything was safer. Again, I'm ripping, you know, this is just me kind of talking and thinking in my head, you had the local, you know I mean, that local midwife that was delivering all of those babies in the town. Um, And so there was some comfort level and protection within the community, if you think of that, protection in the community versus then you're going to the Hospital, where then that potential then bias bias or biases may then begin to infiltrate.
0: And I think so, because I was, so I, and the reason I asked, I was talking about my, my wife and that, because I've been asking this now probably for about three years. So I was just thinking about like, my grandmother has so many children, and like, both sets of my grandmother said so many, and they had them in their house, you know what I mean? And so, it's just like, how is that possible? Like, and so, yeah, I, I think to your point around, it goes back to something you said earlier about having someone who can advocate and support you in these rooms and these spaces. Someone who's listening to your body. Um, I think there's like this also like kind of scary thing around, like, my wife said it the other day is like, you know, having, so if you have, if you're having your child at your home and you're, and your mother or the family or the the communal midwife, or whoever is helping, they're not incentivized. So they got to have, they got to get out here and have dinner at five or, you know, to get certain insurance pay or whatever the case is. Like they, those are not the things that are happening in their, their ecosystem. And so it's different, you know? Um, but look, Dr. Wilson, like I, I have to say, thank you so much for being the guest on living corporate. Um, it's been a phenomenal conversation before we let you go. Any parting words or shout outs?
1: I mean, I think this conversation, when we start to have these conversations around with health equity and, you know, especially now that we're talking about, you know, maybe leaning in a little bit more with these conversations around medical gaslighting and things like that, that we're kind of coming down hard on healthcare providers and things like that. And, you know, you know you're doing this wrong. And for me, I'm a healthcare provider, so. I'm not. I'm never going to come down or try to say, you know, me that we're 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 trying to say that healthcare providers are, you know, we're trying we're doing these things wrong. But I think that there's something that we need to start paying attention to. That there is for especially for women of color that there is something going wrong here, and we need to start paying attention because lives are in danger. And we need to start having these conversations um, around what is what is the data, what is, what is the issue, so that these particular subset of patients can have a more improved patient care experience so that they're not in danger any longer when they come into the healthcare system. Um, so I think that's what one parting word um, that I would like to leave leave on um, is that no one is trying to come down hard on healthcare providers. But I think it's a
0: needed conversation that we need to start having. Dr. Wilson, Dr. Tracy Wilson. <laughs> uh, we can't wait to have you back. Thank you again. We consider you a friend of the show. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: And we are back. Yo, I want to thank Tracy for the time. Phenomenal conversation. Appreciate her work um, as someone, as you've heard in the conversation, who who has a wife um, and who has and, and been with her and held her hand through the delivery of two children. Uh, this work is certainly very personal and dear to me. Um, I, I also hope that as we examine yet another instance of the state brutalizing a black body that we would ask ourselves. And this is me talking to executive leaders. What is it that our organizations can do in the workplace to reflect the world we want to see outside of the workplace? Most of you talking to you, executive leaders cannot stop police brutality, right? That's a whole different argument and, and battle and fight but you can make your policies, practices and procedures more equitable. You can make sure that in your, in your cost reduction efforts, that they're driven by actual business case and not monkey see monkey do, that they don't disproportionately impact black people and cut their legs from under them or remove their ability to generate wealth for their families in an inequitable way. You have that power right here. You don't have to work with somebody else to sign an amicus brief. You can just do better. The business case for diversity is clear. We're not talking about that in 2023. You can do better. I'm going to challenge you. Don't even send a note. Don't. Don't write any social media posts. Don't even do anything for Black History Month. Don't do it. Don't do it. Instead of thinking about Black history, you focus on Black future and Black present. The Black future and present of your black employees. Do that. Do that. I promise you, your black employees will appreciate it. And frankly, any of your employees who should really be working there will appreciate it. Because if you, if you support the most marginalized group in any population, everyone else is supported. Okay. This has been Zach. I love you. I appreciate you. Make sure you click the links in the show notes support the family Tyree Nichols support and learn more about Tracy and check out what we Pfizer has going on till next time peace
1: living corporate is a podcast by living corporate LLC our logo was designed by David Dawkins our theme music was produced by Ken Brown